0: But if you would like to, you can turn. We're going to look at a couple of passages in detail this morning. And one of them will be in the book of Acts, if you want to find that. And the other one will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Book of Acts and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, I'm going to read... I'm going to quote for you a passage that is from Job, chapter 14, verse 14. In Job's conversation with his three friends, I hope you're familiar with the story of Job. Job was a man who served God, and he had seven sons, and he had daughters, and he lost everything. And he didn't know it was because of a conflict that happened in heaven that had nothing to do with him where Lucifer challenged the Lord regarding Job. And he basically said, the reason Job is serving you is because you bless everything he does. But you take away some of those blessings, and maybe even in the second temptation, let me touch him, uh, and he'll curse you to your face. Well, Job did not do that. Job remained faithful to the Lord And Job asked this question in Job chapter 14, verse 14. He said, if a man die, shall he rise again? If a man die, will he live again? Job chapter 14, verse 14. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word and let God's people say, praise the Lord. And you may be seated Now you can turn, if you want to, I'm going to just tell you a brief remark from Acts chapter 12, Acts, the book of Acts. You have four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you have one book of history, and the book of Acts is the book of history. It tells us how the early Christians, the early church, went about carrying out the marching orders of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have this passage here in, in Acts chapter 12. If you look at the very first verse, you can see that the church was undergoing persecution. It says that Herod stretched forth his hand to vex, that is to trouble, certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Do you remember James and John? Well, Herod killed him, executed him. And when we get to the part we're going to read... In Acts chapter 12, he had taken Peter captive, and he was going to execute Peter also. Do You notice in verse 3, Acts chapter 12, because he saw it please the Jews, he f- proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. Now, the days of unleavened bread is a reference to Passover. The Passover is what the Lord instituted for the nation of Israel upon their deliverance from Egypt. Just the night before they were delivered from Egypt, the Lord said, You take a lamb that has no blemishes on it, and you slay that lamb, and you put his blood over the doorpost." And uh, when I see the blood, I'm coming through Egypt tonight, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's where the term Passover comes from. I'll pass over you. Also referred to as the days of unleavened bread. Verse 4, when he had apprehended him, when he had gotten Peter, he put him in prison, he delivered him to four quaternions. Now a quaternion is four soldiers. So four quaternions would be four times four. It would be 16. He had 16 men guarding Peter. He must have thought he was a dangerous man. <laughs> uh, and then it says, if, and, and I'm reading from the King James Version now. I'd like to know, maybe make, ask for a show of hands if you have a different translation here. But it says, Delivered him into four quaternions of soldiers to keep him intending, the King James Version says, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Now how many of you do not have Easter? You have something else. Okay, you probably have Passover because that's what it is. It's Passover. Uh, I'm jealous, I hope, for the Lord God of hosts, because the vast majority of professing and even non-professing Christians alike refer to this particular time of the year as Easter. And to stem that tide of identification has become popular in recent years to refer to Resurrection Day. Although this is more acceptable, Resurrection Day, it's not enough as believers in Jesus as the promised Messiah. We must not think, as I said earlier this morning, nor should we cause the world to think that we only set aside a single day or a single week each year to remember and to celebrate the greatest event in the history of Of the world, which is the resurrection of Jesus the Messiah. We should remember our Lord's resurrection every single day of the year. As believers, we should wake up in the morning with hope because we know we have a living, enthroned, living Savior and Lord. Now, Israel was commanded. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. Our Savior, our Lord Jesus, repeated those very words to the devil when he was tempted of him. And Read about that in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4. So everything that we need to live acceptably, everything that we should believe and practice is written in the Bible. And there is a solemn warning in the Bible not to add to what God has said, nor to take away anything from it. So here we have the Acts 12, and this is not going to be my study today, but I just want to get this out of the way before we consider the resurrection of Christ. In Acts chapter 12, at least in the King James Version, they have erroneously translated this after Easter to bring him forth to the first verse 4 of Acts chapter 12 to the people. There was no Easter celebration when our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified. No such thing. The word here is Pascha. It is the word, it is of Aramaic origin, and it, it is translated 29 times in the Bible. And 28 times is translated Passover. That is translated here, Easter. Why? Because the King James version, by the 1600s, it was translated to 1611, by the 1600s they had begun to celebrate over from the Roman Catholic Church what we call Easter. And so King James said, I want that in the Scripture. King James was a so-called Protestant. It had been a dividing between the Protestants and the Roman Church, the Roman Catholic Church. And he said, I want that in the Scripture. So I could cite three testimonies here. Dr. Matthew Henry, the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, as well as the Greek and Hebrew scholar James Augustus Strong, all three of them agree that this word should be translated Passover. It, it was after Passover that he intended to arrest Peter and then to execute him. Of course, we know that Peter was delivered. So I ask again, what do we celebrate? We are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus the Messiah. We are not celebrating anything else. In fact, the scriptures tell us in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16 The Christians don't have to celebrate any kind of holy day. We've been delivered from all of that, new moons and Sabbath days and all of these things in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our salvation does not consist in the bondage of the operation of days or seasons or what we eat or what we don't eat or what we drink or what we don't drink. And neither is salvation associated with so-called holy places, shrines, temples, statues, but with a person. This is life eternal, that they know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So if you ask the question, why was this translated Easter, it's simply because by the 1600s, The Roman Catholic Church, and after them the Protestant Church, which was the Church of England, had instituted an extra-biblical celebration, that is, a celebration that's not found in the Scripture, called Easter, and it has been with us ever since, though it is not found in the Bible. As I say, we're not bound to celebrate any holy days at all, we celebrate a person the person is Jesus, whom we believe to be the Messiah. Now, having said that, why don't you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and don't be embarrassed to look in the table of contents in your Bible, if you can find that, and find out what page uh, 1 Corinthians is on. And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I don't have anything new to add to to. Today, what I usually teach, uh, every week we try to preach and teach the Lord Jesus Christ. Right now we're having a series of studies uh, on the life of Joseph from the Old Testament. And we can see the Lord Jesus Christ in Joseph. So I invite those of you who are visiting with us today to come back and learn about the life of Joseph. We're having a good series of studies from the book of Genesis about Joseph, and in Joseph we can see the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the chapter above all chapters in the Bible that has more to say about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The whole chapter is given over to the resurrection as I have said, the most amazing event in the history of the world is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Two empirical facts plague every human being. You know what empirical means? It means experience. The old philosophers said you don't learn anything except by experience. You know, in the early days of America, in every room they had a fireplace. And when the children were very young and had just begun to toddle, the mother would watch the child and actually allow the child, you know, you tell the child, don't come over here, don't come over here, don't stay, don't, don't come over here, just like you've got a dog in your yard and you try to keep him inside. <laughs> and you have to put one of those buzzers on his neck and when you push it, it kind of gives him a little shock and it's not to hurt him, it's to teach him that when he gets near the boundaries, It's unpleasant. And so the mother would watch the child and would actually allow the child to get its little fingers burned by the fire, because after that, the mother didn't have to worry at all. That child would not go back up to that fire. And sometimes we just have to let our children experience some things, because they will only learn by experience. So empiricism is the idea that we learn through experience. So there are two empirical facts. There are two facts that every single human being knows and has to deal with. You know what they are? The fact of death and the desire to live forever. Every man and woman since Adam and Eve has had a deep, down desire to live forever. We don't like death. We don't like getting old. Some people, and I have known a few, who couldn't wait on death, took their own lives. I know of a man who recently was a very famous man recently just in the last few months who took his own life because he got to the point he was still very able to get around and all that but he just somehow or another felt that he was he didn't want to be where somebody else had to take care of him he didn't want to get to that place where he was dependent or where maybe he didn't even know what his name was and so he took his own life to get out of that we don't like death The Bible calls death the last enemy, right here in this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's an enemy, an enemy that we don't like. We have a desire down inside to keep on living. We want to keep on living. We don't want to die. And we got this death facing us, but we have this desire to live. Even Lucifer, the one we call the devil and Satan, he knows this. He said to Job, he said to the Lord about Job, skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. Let me translate that for you. A man will give up everything in order to stay alive. And that declaration held true until Jesus the Messiah came. Jesus didn't do anything to keep himself alive. Alive because he came here to die, not for his own sins, but for others. He came to give his life so that all who trust him might have eternal life. The life that we so crave. That's what we crave. We crave to live forever. We don't like death. We want to keep on living. What happens when you keep on living? You call that everlasting life. Or you call it eternal life. Listen to this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3:16. John 3 and verse 36. He that believes on the son has everlasting life. John 4:14. 4, Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst; the water that I give him will be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. John five twenty four. I say unto you, he that hears my word, and believes on him that sent me, has everlasting life and will never be condemned. He is passed from death unto life. John six twenty seven. Do not labor. Do not work for the meat that perishes but for the meat which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. John chapter 6, verse 40, This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone that sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. John chapter 6, verse 40, John six forty seven. I say unto you, he that believes on me has everlasting life. Romans six twenty two. Being made free from sin, you have become servants to God, and you have your fruit unto holiness and the end, everlasting life. Now, my friends, the resurrection of Jesus, the man Jesus from the dead, is the guarantee that what he promised is true. Everything he said, everything he promised, everything he claimed about himself and what he was able to do and what he would do for others who trust him, all of that hinges upon one thing, his resurrection from the dead. There are eight, I could give you more, but I'm going to give you eight soul-changing facts that we have to deal with if Christ did not come from the grave. Are you in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? Notice verse 1. Brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. That word gospel there is a a Greek term that means good news. It is the word gospel. And it means good tidings. Three things supported Jesus as Messiah in his claims that what he promised he could do, what he said he could do, he could do. His words, his deeds, and his death. But his words and his deeds and his death stand upon the resurrection. And without the resurrection, we don't have any gospel. He said, I declare unto you the gospel. That's good news. Well, we don't have any gospel if we only have a dead Messiah. Number two, he says, we have nothing to declare. I declare unto you the gospel. I'm declaring it unto you. That comes from a word, rizzo. It means to make known to you. Well, I don't have anything to make known to you if Jesus is dead. I can't make known to you one who saves, and there's no reason for you to be learning about him if he's dead. Thirdly, we have nothing to receive. Still in verse 1, Brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which you also received. You have nothing to receive if Jesus is still in the grave. Nothing to accept. Nothing to really believe. Fourthly, we have nothing to stand upon. Still in verse 1, he says, Once you received and wherein you stand. Those of you who are believers are taking your stand upon Jesus as your Savior. But if he did not come forth from the grave, you have nothing to stand upon. So go home and grin and bear it. Because there's very little you can do except the same old sixes and sevens for 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. saw a lady yesterday on television who was a park ranger retiring at 101. 101. But she has to pass out of this world. Even Lazarus, whom the Lord resurrected from the grave, he had to die again. So death is always there. And we don't have anything to stand on. If Jesus didn't come forth from the grave. Now, look at verse 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 15. We are found false witnesses of God because we have testified that God raised up Christ, whom he raised not up if the dead do not rise. We have said that the apostle says, we've told everybody that Jesus rose from the dead, but if he didn't rise from the dead, not only is that a lie, but we're liars, we're going to be held accountable to God for telling a lie about the Lord Jesus Christ. Then verses 16 and 17, he says, our faith is vain. Look at verse 16 and 17. If the dead do not rise, then Christ is not raised. If Christ is not raised, your faith is vain. And you are yet in your sins. You are still in your sins. You say, well, how do I know I'm a sinner? Are you getting older? Are you getting older? Well, pretty soon your years are run out. Brother Turner's mother, whom I have known since she was in her late 30s, is 97 years old. 97. Took her to the hospital, thought she had a heart attack, said, nope. Didn't have a heart attack. Heart's still good at 97. Isn't that something? I've known her a long time. She is an amazing, amazing woman. The Lord has made her so. But one day, even if she lives 115, 120, Moses lived 120 years old. Joshua J, uh, Joseph, the guy we're studying, he lived to be 110. So they all have to die. And his mother has been a believer, a Christian, ever since I've known her. But Paul says here in verses 16 and 17, her faith is absolutely worthless. It's good for nothing unless Jesus came out of the grave. Unless he came out of the grave, good for nothing. You're just trusting a dead man. He says in verse 18, everybody who has died believing in Jesus as the Messiah, every one of them have perished. Verse 18, they also which are fallen asleep. How many times have you heard me say that believers don't die? Believers fall asleep. Unbelievers die, but believers just fall asleep. And Jesus comes to wake us up, and he's going to wake up our bodies one day. He will reunite us with our bodies, and we will come out of the grave in immortality, in immortal bodies. This corruption shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality. You know where I got that? Right here in this, in this chapter. Would you like to turn to verse 54 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, actually verse 53, verse 53, this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality, and when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory, O death, where is your sting, O grave, where is your victory? Where is our victory? Verse 57, thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But if Jesus didn't come out of the grave, everybody who's died believing in him, they have perished. Everybody who is living believing in him, they have a vain faith. And according to verse 19, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we have nothing to look forward to beyond this veil of tears that we call life. Verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. What we ought to be doing now is just partying 24 hours a day because that's as good as it's going to get if Jesus didn't come out of the grave. You know our Lord Jesus Christ predicted his own resurrection? I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 15 one more time. It says that This fellow that wrote this 1 Corinthians is named Paul. He was formerly known as Saul of Tarsus, and he was converted. He's given a Christian name, Paul. He said in verse 3, look at verse 3. He said, I delivered unto you, first of all, what I received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Verse 4, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Now, when he wrote this letter of 1 Corinthians, there was only one set of scriptures, and that's what we call the Old Testament. Genesis 1-1 through the Malachi, the uh, 39 books of the Old Testament, that's all he had. He said that if you have eyes to see, you can see the resurrection of the Messiah in the Old Testament. You, You can see that. That's all Paul had. He's teaching from the Old Testament. He's teaching New Testament Christians from the Old Testament. Notice that the gospel has three parts of it. Three parts. Christ died for our sins. He was buried with our sins. He rose again the third day, which is the guarantee that he put our sins away. Then he says, he was seen of Cephas, verse 5. Then he was seen of the twelve, verse 5, the apostles. And then he was seen of, verse 6, he was seen of over 500 people at one time. And he said the greater part of that 500 are still living right now. That's verse 6. Some of them have fallen asleep, but the greater part of that 500 still living. Verse 7, After that he was seen of James, then he was seen of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. All of these people would have to be lying about what they saw and what they experienced. There's more evidence for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ than there is in the best criminal case ever tried in a court in America. I'll give you some of those proofs in just a moment. I want you to know this. Jesus predicted his own resurrection. No man, no woman in all of history has predicted his or her death, much less a personal resurrection, but Jesus did. In John chapter 2, he said to those who questioned his identity, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. In Luke, Gospel, chapter 9, he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things, and he must be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and he must be slain, but he will be raised the third day. That's Luke, chapter 9, verse 22. Jesus compared himself to Jonah, Matthew, chapter 12, verse 40. He said, As Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Matthew twelve forty. In Matthew 17, he said, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. But the third day he'll be raised again. Matthew 17, verses 22 and 23. Going to Jerusalem, he took his disciples aside and said unto them, in Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 18, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed unto the chief priests and to the scribes. And they will condemn him to death. And they will deliver him to the Gentiles, that's the Romans, to mock him and discourage him and to crucify him. But the third day, he will rise again. And you don't know of anybody in history that's ever predicted their own death, much less their resurrection. There are four four reasons that I'm going to briefly touch on why the resurrection is vital. First of all, it is evidentially important. That is, it presents evidence that the death of Jesus was not merely a common death, but his death was a substitutionary death. He was dying for someone else. But the resurrection is the proof of the atoning character of the death of Christ. It is a proof that he is God in the flesh. It is a proof of his divine exaltation. As it says in Romans chapter 1 verse 4, he was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. All that means is if he were a sinner like I am and you are, he would have to stay dead. But the fact that he was resurrected shows that he had no sin. He overcame death because he was sinless. You see, it, it wasn't just the death of Jesus. Suppose Jesus had stubbed his toe and fell off of a mountain and died. He has to die in a certain way. He has to die on a cross. And by the way, when the Old Testament prophets predicted that the Messiah would die on a cross... The method of crucifixion was not even in existence. It was later, hundreds of years later, invented by the Romans. A most cruel kind of death. It was reserved for the lowest of the low. It was, it was, it was, it was reserved for, to make a spectacle of people, to humiliate people. Jesus died as our substitute. There'd be no redeeming quality in his death if he's not dying for someone else. He died as a substitute. He did not die for his own sins. He died for the sins of his people. And this is emphatically demonstrated in that God the Father raised him from the dead once his work was done. That's why when he died, he said, it is finished. So it's evidentially, it is evidence that he was a substitute. Number two, it is evangelically important. The old gospel, the gospel preached by the disciples, included testimony of the resurrection, giving and proving to the hearers the assurance of divine redemption. That is, if you really believe in Jesus and he came forth from the grave, then your faith is valid. Third, the resurrection is spiritually important because if Jesus was not holy, he would not have been brought forth from the grave. The grave, death is the penalty of sin. And to be brought forth from the grave is the proof that he was not subject to death. Fourthly, the resurrection is eschatologically important. That's a big word, it just means the future. When you're interested in prophecy, you're interested in what happens in the future, you're talking about eschatology. And the resurrection of Jesus guarantees that there is a future for us, that we will be resurrected from the grave. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 13 if there is no resurrection of the dead, Christ is not risen. Verse 14, if Christ is not risen, our preaching is vain, your faith is vain. Verse 15, we're found to be false witnesses of God because we've testified that God raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if the dead do not rise. If dead, if the dead do not rise, Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, verse 17, your faith is vain and you're yet in your sins. And they, verse 18, who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So, his resurrection guarantees our future resurrection. And finally, in closing out this morning, a lot of proofs for his resurrection. We've already read some of them here. He appeared to over 500 people at once. Verse 6. He appeared to James, verse 7. He appeared to all the apostles, verse 7. He appeared to Paul, verse 8. But what about this? When Jesus died, the Romans put some Roman guards there. Now, he was buried in a tomb that was dug out in the wall of a, let's say, a hill or a mountain out of solid rock. And then a huge Stone that weighed from 2,000 to 4,000 pounds was rolled in the front of that. They estimate it weighed about 2,700 pounds. That's over a ton, 2,000 pounds in a ton. They roll that in front of his grave. Now, his grave is guarded by Roman guards. But the Jews didn't trust the Romans. And so they sent, this is all in your Bible, by the way. You can read it in Matthew chapter 27. They went to the Roman government and they said, Sir, we remember this guy that called Jesus a deceiver. They said, we remember this deceiver saying that in three days he's going to come out of the grave. Now we know what's going to happen. His disciples are going to go and steal his body. Then they're going to say he's resurrected. So we want to have our own guards there along with your guards. So you had the Roman guards, and you had some guards who were Jews to guard the Romans who were guarding the grave. But in three days, Jesus was gone. Not only that, people don't tell you these details. That stone that was put in front of that grave that weighed from two to 4,000 pounds, In front of the stone, they they had a rock wall to keep the stone from falling this way. And the stone was put on an incline. In other words, it was rolled down like this to roll in front of the grave. So let me put you inside of a cave like that and roll that stone. It weighs 2,700 up to 4,000 pounds, roll it down like this, and on the inside, you're inside the grave, you have nothing to grab, nothing. How are you going to move that stone and come out of there? But Jesus was gone in three days. Not only was he gone, but when they finally went in there, when they got to the grave, the stone was rolled away. They went inside, and the the stuff that... The the linings and the face mask were all neatly folded, and put right there on the plate, indicating that whoever had that on was not in a big hurry. He got up and folded up those things and put them there and walked out of that grave on the third day. My dear friends, we have a savior who is alive. We have a savior who ever lives. To save all who come unto God by him. He has promised if you believe him, you will be in the great day of judgment. You'll be saved. The Lord will pass you by. He is our Passover. He's the one whose blood on the doorpost of our heart, the Lord looks for that. And if he sees that through faith in him, he passes over. What good news we have of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we celebrate that every single day and not just one day a year. May the Lord add his blessings to his word. Would you stand together with me? Let me leave you with just this promise from scripture. Whosoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now here in this this church... We are not trying to get you to come down here to the front, raise your hand, sign a card, or do anything. We say that where you are right there, you can talk to the Lord yourself and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ with the promise that you'll be saved. The Scripture tells us in the Gospel of Matthew that we're to preach the Gospel to every creature, we should baptize those who are believed, and then we should teach them, to observe all things whatsoever he has commanded us and he promised lo i am with you always even to the end of the age. I don't know when the Lord Jesus is coming back, but I know things are getting worse and they're getting worse not just in America, they're getting worse on a wor- worldwide scale. And the only place to hide from what's coming and from death itself, which all of us will face. The only place to hide is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hide in him. Come to him. Believe on him. Because we have a Lord who's alive who can save us. Let's sing our song. Under the blood of Jesus, safe in the shepherd's fold, safe while the ages roll. Under the blood of Jesus Safe in the shepherds' fold. Under the blood of Jesus Safe while the ages roll I'm safe Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We rejoice today because we have a living Savior, one who ever lives to make intercession for all who come unto thee by him. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no man comes unto the Father but by me. And Father, I pray for every soul here today and for those who watch by the internet, indeed, For those whom I have never met, that you will do a work in their minds and in their hearts, grant them the gift of faith that they might seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. Father, we know that you are a God of grace and mercy, but we also know you are a God of judgment because you judged us in your Son. You would not Have mercy upon us unless sin is paid for. And the Lord Jesus Christ is our substitute, the substitute of all of those who believe. He paid the debt that we could never pay. We owed a debt we couldn't pay. He paid a debt he didn't owe. Father, we are so thankful we have a living Savior today. And I pray now that you'll bless your word, though it has been so weakly and feebly delivered power is not in the messenger, but the power is in the message. The power is in the word of God. Work in our hearts. Work in this generation. Lord, that souls may be brought to the Lord Jesus Christ, where we can have forgiveness of sins through faith in him. He paid the penalty, and we are set free. We ask it in his name, asking you to bless us as we part, for Jesus' sake.